in Jeremiah 24, we find another one of these portraits of the gospel, one of these object lessons that God gives to Jeremiah and to us that we might understand the good news of salvation full and free in Jesus. Jeremiah 24, verse 1. After Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the officials of Judah with the craftsmen and smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon, the Lord showed me, Behold, two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs, like first ripe figs, and the other basket had very bad figs, which could not be eaten due to rottenness. Then the Lord said to me, What do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs, the good figs, very good, and the bad figs, very bad, which cannot be eaten due to rottenness. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Like these good figs, so I will regard as good the captives of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them for good, And I will bring them again to this land, and I will build them up and not overthrow them, and I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. But like the bad figs, which cannot be eaten due to rottenness, indeed, thus says the Lord, so I will abandon Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials, and the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land, and the ones who dwell in the land of Egypt. I will make them a terror and an evil for all the kingdoms of the earth, as a reproach and a proverb, a taunt and a curse in all places where I will scatter them. I will send the sword, the famine, and the pestilence upon them until they are destroyed from the land which I gave to them and their forefathers. Fathers, we consider this morning another portrait of the gospel, another picture of your mercy to us in Jesus. We simply ask for your help. Help not only to see what Jeremiah saw, but to apply it to our own lives, to see your goodness and your free offer of grace to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we come back to Jeremiah 24, I want to tell you a story that's apropos, I think, at this time of year. It happened in July 1505. 1505. As a careless, superstitious German college student was traveling through the countryside in the midst of a tremendous thunderstorm. It was raining like crazy. Thunder and lightning were flashing all around him and suddenly a bolt of lightning burst from the clouds and struck the ground so near to where he was walking that it knocked him off his feet. Frightened and superstitious, he cried out, Saint Anne, help me and I will become a monk. Two weeks later, having survived that storm, He kept his vow and he entered the monastery. And some of you know already his name was Martin Luther. And as is the case when you enter the monastery, Luther now found himself with a great deal of time to think about himself and about God. And the more he thought, the more he realized just how short of God's standard he really fell. 
he felt himself to be just what Jeremiah was describing, these rotten figs, bruised on every side by sin. And so in a desperate attempt to make himself right with God, he dove into the very strictest kind of life that a monk could live. He hated himself, he hated his sin, and so he tried to make up for it by reading and praying laboriously. He would spend hours in the confessional with the priest, desperately trying to remember every sin that he'd ever committed in his life and hating himself even more because he couldn't remember them all. He fasted sometimes for days on end, and sometimes he would discipline himself by sleeping on the cold stone floor in the midst of winter without a blanket, thinking that perhaps that self-punishment might appease God. And he would later say of himself, Martin Luther, I kept the rule, the monastic rule, so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his sheer monkery, it was I. If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, reading, and other work. Did everything he knew to do to get himself right with God. And despite all of those efforts, Luther could find no peace. No peace within himself, no peace with God. In fact, he was terrified of God. Seeing God only as a judge eager to punish him. Historian Bruce Shelley describes Luther's first service of the Mass, the first time he was giving out the bread and the cup in the local church like this. In the midst of saying his first Mass, said Luther, I was utterly stupefied and terror-stricken. I thought to myself, who am I that I should lift up my eyes or raise my hands to the divine majesty? For I am dust and ashes and full of sin, and I am speaking to the living, eternal, and true God. No amount of penance, no soothing advice from his superiors could still Luther's conviction that he was a miserable, doomed sinner. And although his confessor, the priest that he confessed his sins to, counseled him to love God, Luther one day burst out, says Shelley, I do not love God, I hate him. I hate him. Now why did Martin Luther come to a place where he hated God? Why did he feel constantly condemned and unloved? Why did he feel that there was no way of escape for him in his sins? Well, the reason was because all of his life he had heard a great deal about God's righteous judgment upon sinners. He'd always known that sin was wrong, that God hated it, and that God must punish it, and he was right so far. But he had never heard in his whole life growing up in medieval Roman Catholicism, he had never heard about the one who freely forgives. No one had ever told him that salvation, forgiveness, right standing with God can be given to us as a gift and not earned by all of these things that he was trying to do. Everything that Martin Luther had ever been taught by the priests, both in his town and now in the monastery, led him to believe that it's up to us to get right with God by virtue of our own good works. And Luther rightly found himself completely unable to do so. And so he was undone and he hated God, this God whom he believed was so exacting and so unmerciful. And perhaps, as we come to God's Word this morning, that's the position that some of us may find ourselves in. There may be one or two or a handful of you here that have been trying with all of your might to get peace in your heart, to get peace with God by doing better, 
by doing good, by doing all the things that you're supposed to do and maybe even going above and beyond that. And there are probably a great deal many more of us who in our heads know and have actually come to Jesus for free grace and for mercy and for forgiveness, but then we've kind of shifted over into this attitude of thinking we have to stay right with God by all the good things that we do, by going above and beyond. So some of us may really know Jesus and know forgiveness, and yet we have gotten ourselves into a rut of thinking that God is now judging us on our performance. And if you're in either of those places, I bet you're frustrated. I bet you are frustrated, feeling like God will never be satisfied and you'll never measure up. And maybe you find it difficult, like Luther, to love a God like that. Do you find it difficult sometimes to sing or to pray or to read God's Word? It may be that you're doing those things out of duty toward a God that you think isn't very loving but is exacting instead of doing those things as a response to His free gift. If that's where you are this morning, viewing God either in general or maybe just in a rut you've gotten yourself into, viewing God as a God who judges you based on your performance. There's good news in Jeremiah 24, and there's good news in the story of Martin Luther. Martin Luther finally found hope and forgiveness in the Scriptures. He didn't find it by just saying, well, I'm just going to love God more, or I'm just going to forget the fact that I've done so many bad things. That wasn't it. He found hope, and he found forgiveness, and he found peace with God in the Scriptures. Not in Jeremiah 24 specifically, but in Romans 1, 16 and 17, which says the same thing that we're going to see in Jeremiah 24. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, As it is written, he who is righteous by faith shall live. Luther discovered two important things in those two verses. First, he discovered that it's the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. It is the gospel and not our behavior that's the power of God for salvation. In other words, he learned that we're saved by Jesus' good works, not our own. Or to put it another way, He learned that we get right with God by virtue of good news, not by virtue of good behavior. And some of us need to remind ourselves of that again this morning. We get right with God and we stay in good standing with God by virtue of good news about Jesus, not good behavior in ourselves. And secondly, Luther learned that this Good news, this salvation is available, according to verse 16, to everyone who believes. Or as verse 17 puts it, he who is righteous by faith, as opposed to he who is trying to be righteous by his good works, he who is righteous by faith shall live. We become right with God not by doing good works, but by believing in God's good Son. And let me let Luther describe to you what happened when he made this discovery. Upon discovering that he could be forgiven for free simply by trusting in Jesus, he said, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into 
paradise. And that's what happens, isn't it? For those of you who have put your trust in Jesus, that's what happens. When you stop trying to earn God's favor and realize, number one, that you can't, and number two, that you don't have to, because Jesus has earned God's favor for you. When you realize that, you gain peace with God. You no longer hate God. You begin to love God for His mercy so full and so free. You no longer see Him as your condemner, but as your friend. And you walk through open doors, as it were, into paradise. And that will happen for anyone today who will simply believe that God rescues us based on good news, not good behavior. And again, it could be that some of you have been rescued, but you've been living as a slave and not as a child. And you need to remind yourself and believe afresh that it's good news that makes God happy with you today, not good behavior. That's what happened for Martin Luther. And in October 1517, God used Luther's discovery or rediscovery of the free gift of salvation to begin a spiritual revival first in Germany and then across Europe that reaches now around the globe. A revival in which thousands of people in the 1500s and millions since have found the same peace that Luther found, the same peace that I hope everyone in this room finds before the hour is concluded. Luther had spent his whole life, and people for a thousand years had spent their whole lives with the Bible locked up in a Latin translation that no one but the smartest scholarly people could read. And that was by design. They didn't want people like us to read it. And Luther had spent his whole life, therefore, not being able to read the Bible and being told that we have to get right with God by going to confession, by doing all these works of penance and so on. But Luther was one of the scholarly ones who got to read the Bible in Latin and then eventually he got a hold of it in Greek and he found out that God loves to save and forgive sinners for free. Free to us, not free to Jesus, but free to us. And it was an astounding thing. And so I tell you this kind of elongated story of Luther this morning, first of all because it is October and the the date on which he sort of published this good news to the world in German, not in Latin, so that normal people could read it, was October 31st, 1517, 13 days from now. And I hope maybe on that day this will give you reason to celebrate that we have the gospel today unhindered in our own language and taught freely to all. But I also tell you Luther's story because the lesson he learned from Romans 1 that salvation is a free gift, undeserved and granted freely by a merciful God, is the same lesson that is taught in Jeremiah 24. Jeremiah 24 is all about good news for sinners, good news for people who have bad behavior, good news for people who don't deserve good news. This is another picture of the gospel, a visual aid here in Jeremiah 24 that will help us understand the free gift that Paul wrote about in Romans 1 and that Luther discovered in the 1500s and that Jesus paid for with his blood. And so if you still have your Bibles open to Jeremiah 24, I just want to look at it again 
With all this background in mind, I want to read the first seven verses, this wonderful illustration of how God freely gives sinners what they do not deserve. After Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the officials of Judah with the craftsmen and smiths from Jerusalem and had brought them to Babylon, the Lord showed me, behold, two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs, like the first ripe figs, and the other basket had very bad figs, which could not be eaten due to rottenness. Then the Lord said to me, What do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs. The good figs, very good, and the bad figs, very bad, which cannot be eaten due to rottenness. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Like these good figs, So I will regard as good the captives of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them for good and will bring them again to this land, and I will build them up and not overthrow them, and I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. I just want to make this morning three points from this passage. First, I want you to see that all the people spoken of in Jeremiah 24, both good figs and bad figs, were sinners. All the people spoken of in this passage were sinners. Secondly, we're going to see that God treats sinners better than they deserve. That's the good news. And thirdly, we're going to see that this visual illustration, this gospel portrait, is meant for the benefit of 21st century sinners too. So number one, notice with me that all the people spoken of in this passage, both those who regarded as good figs and those regarded as bad, were sinners. Now to to help you see that, let me give you a little bit of background first on what's happening in the middle of this book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament, of course, and he was prophesying to the Jewish people around 600 B.C., just before they went into exile in Babylon in 586 B.C. And much of the message that he gives the people throughout this book is negative. If you read Jeremiah, much of it is negative. And there's a reason for that. And it's not because Jeremiah was negative. It's because God's people to whom he was preaching as a whole had turned their backs on God. If you read this book, you'll see that the people in Jerusalem and in Israel were bowing their knees to false gods. They were involved in gross sexual immorality. They were greedy and are reproved for that. They had little concern with justice. And they weren't concerned with the sanctity or dignity of human life either. And these are the people that God sends Jeremiah to speak to. And so it's natural that Jeremiah has some hard things to say to them. And when God sent the prophets to speak the truth, we find that on top of all their other sins, they turned a deaf ear. If you just look one chapter over in Jeremiah 25, verses 3 through 4, You can read that from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, these 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to me. This is Jeremiah speaking. And I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. 
And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, again and again. But you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. And when you turn to the first few chapters of Jeremiah, you find Jeremiah saying, Young and old, rich and poor, everybody is hearing God's word and almost nobody is listening. And so the whole nation, by and large, had turned away from the Lord. And the problem, as we just read, was decades long. And for that reason, then, it would be incorrect for us to assume that here in chapter 24, verse 5, the difference between the good figs and the bad figs had to do somehow with their behavior. We would be wrong to assume that. We would be wrong to read verse 5 and say, oh, well, some people were behaving good, and so God regarded them as good figs, and he's going to rescue them. And some people were behaving bad, and God regarded them as bad figs, and he's going to destroy them. That's not what was happening in Jeremiah's day. If God would have dealt with the people solely based on their behavior, there would have been no good figs at all. For it was true then, just as it is now, that there is none righteous, not even one. And for further evidence that the good figs in verse 5 weren't actually good people, you need only to look down to verse 7, where God promises that they will return to me with their whole heart. Does that signal to you that they weren't actually good, godly people? They will return to me with their whole heart. If they had been good, if they had been serving God wholeheartedly and not half-heartedly, if they had been turned toward God instead of turned away from God, they wouldn't have had to return at all. But the whole point is that the people that are regarded as good figs, the people that are blessed, the people that are treated well, the people that are rescued in Jeremiah 24 are people who have turned away from God and aren't serving Him with their whole hearts. The very fact that they have to return to Him tells us that. Even those who are regarded as good figs had gone astray. Even those who were regarded as good figs were sinners. So then... We have to ask, why did God treat some of them as good figs and some of them as bad? What was the difference between the two? Why are some of the sinners being treated as though they weren't actually sinners? And that brings us to the second point. Namely, God treats sinners better than they deserve. I want you to read verse 5 again and pay special attention to the word regard. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard as good the captives of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans. Did you pay attention to regard? It's an important word. God never said that the people actually were good figs. He said he would regard them as though they were good. He would treat them as though they were good. They weren't good, but God was going to treat them as though they were. Now picture it. These people have earned their way into exile. In 14 short years, the country is going to be broken apart finally, and many of the people are going to be carried away. The whole country deserves it, and many of them are going to get it. Because of their disobedience, their immorality, their idolatry, and their deaf ears toward the word of God that was preached to them again and again and again. These people deserved nothing but punishment from God. They were actually rotten, 
rancid figs that you wouldn't even feed to your dog. I picked these up in the yard. These aren't figs, but they're persimmons. Maybe you can see them. But these are rotten. That's what the people were like. They were rotten, rancid figs that were a stench in God's nostrils. That's the language he'll use elsewhere. And yet, God says in verse 5, I'm going to regard you as though you weren't rotten, as though you weren't rancid. I'm going to regard you as though you were fresh and ripe and sweet. And that is the way God relates to sinners even today, isn't it? In Jesus, God, yes, sees us for who we really are. It's not that God looks at us and thinks that we're perfect. He sees us for who we really are, and then he treats us better than we deserve. He sees us as the rotten, rancid figs, and he treats us as though we were the first ripe fruits of summer. And he says to these people the same kinds of things that he says to us. I will set my eyes on them for good, verse 6. I will build them up and not overthrow them. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know me. Aren't you glad that God has done that for you if he has? I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. That's a good word to a room full of rotten figs, isn't it? A room full of sinners that God intends in Jesus to treat us as though we were the first ripe fruits of summer. And that brings me to my third point. This visual illustration was meant, of course, for Jeremiah and for him to relate to the people, but it's also meant for the benefit of 21st century sinners, too. And in that regard, I want you now to picture yourself as one of these figs. That's what God says about us. A bruised, gooey, smelly, rotten fig. Think about that. Picture it in your mind, those rotten peaches or rotten bananas that you have in your house. And then look at them and look at every bruise that's on that piece of fruit, every ooze that's coming out of that piece of fruit, and say to yourself, that's what my sin looks like. It's exactly what my sin looks like if I could see it from God's perspective. If everybody else around me weren't rotten fruit and I could actually see from God's perspective what we really look like compared to Jesus, then that's what I would be. Think about all the bruises that are there. That ugly thing that you said this past week to someone in the office. That dirty thought that went through your mind the other day. That sinful habit that you just cannot and will not let loose. That shameful thing that you did a decade ago that still comes up in your conscience. That character defect that seems to be there all the time and harms the people that you love most. Just picture all those things for a minute. Let them all rear their ugly heads on the surface of that fig in your imagination. It's pretty disgusting, isn't it? Even to us who live day by day by day in sin, when we think about the things that we think and the things that we do, if we really want to serve God and know Him, we are disgusted with the way that we act sometimes. I am disgusted with myself more often than you know. It's not the kind of thing these 
rotten figs that we would want to offer to our neighbor, you know? Someone moves into the neighborhood and you bring them a basket like this. You know, I got these figs out of the ground in my yard. They're actually not bad, you know? The deer wouldn't eat them and I'd try to give them to my dog. He wouldn't take them, but maybe they'll be nice to you. Of course, we would never do that. And, of course, we have these sensibilities to where we, we get embarrassed when we sin in front of other people, don't we? When we sin against other people, oftentimes we're embarrassed because we realize how foolish and how rotten we really look. And we're ashamed. And sometimes that's the thing that God uses to bring us to repentance is that we're so ashamed that someone saw what we did or knows what we think. And we're ashamed to offer our lives to other people. And certainly even more so with God. Surely we don't want to offer Him rotten figs. But, as we read verse 5 one more time, we remember, thus says the Lord God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard as good the captives of Judah. Those people that God calls His own. Those rotten figs that are deserved of being tossed in the landfill of hell, God is compassionate and gracious toward them in verse 5. He's abounding in love toward them. Like the good figs in Jeremiah's vision, so God treats all of His people. Everyone, Paul says in Romans 1, who believes. That's where these verses connect. Jeremiah doesn't tell us, and God doesn't tell us here, how He saw the difference between the good figs and the bad. None of them were good. None of them had behavior that was deserving of life and rescue. But Paul tells us when we come to the New Testament that though we all deserve God's wrath, there is salvation for everyone who believes. That's how we can tell with human eyes those whom God will regard as good though they are bad and those who will get the punishment they deserve. Those who are regarded as good, though they are bad, are those who believe, who trust in God's provision. In this case, the people who heard what Jeremiah said and said, we're going to put our trust in that God. We are going to return to Him with our whole heart. When you return to God with your whole heart, when you entrust yourself to Him and to His plan in Jesus, you become in His sight as beautiful as the first ripe fruits of spring. The brown oozing bruises of sin vanish from His sight. They may not vanish from the surface of your life very quickly, but they vanish from His sight as far as He is concerned. The rancid, garbage dump stench of rotten fruit is no longer in His nostrils. Rotten fruit is no longer on His tongue. And in their place is a soft, moist, sweet-smelling, delicious piece of fruit. The moment you believe... According to Jeremiah 24, you are just like that piece of fruit in the eyes of God Almighty. The New Testament calls it justification. God treats us as righteous, though we are unrighteous. That is the free gift that Paul wrote about in Romans 1 and that Luther discovered in Romans 1 and that God holds out in Romans 1 to everyone who believes. And before we conclude we need to ask a question that I hope all of you will be asking and many of you will already know the answer to. 
But we should ask ourselves, how can this be? How can Jeremiah 24, 5 be? How can these people be rotten, rancid sinners, and yet God regard them as though they were good? That's not fair, is it? How can God do that? How can God seemingly turn justice on its head and set people free and treat them as good when they're not good and when they deserve his punishment? Can God do that? Is it unfair? The answer is, it would be unfair for God to treat bad people as though they were good were it not for the cross of Christ. If God were to let sinners go, which he does, but then also leave their sin unpunished, God would be committing an egregious injustice. He would be an unjust judge. And nobody wants an unjust judge. No one wants to vote for a judge in Cincinnati next month that's going to just let people off scot-free and never punish their crime. And sinners would never once let any sin go unpunished. Has he? Remember what the book of Isaiah says, just one book in front of Jeremiah. Remember what happened with our sins in Isaiah 53. Surely our griefs he himself, Jesus, bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. I think Isaiah says it six times. Our sins were punished in Jesus. So that, yes, God treats us better than we deserve, but He does not leave our sins unpunished. He is not unjust. He is just, Paul says, and He's the justifier of those who believe. He is just, and He's the one who declares those who believe to be just, to be righteous, to be fresh, ripe figs in His sight. And those two character traits of God, His justice in punishing our sins at the cross, and His mercy in forgiving our sins at the cross come together in the person of Jesus. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him so that sin is justly punished and yet sinners can go free. And that is an amazing plan of mercy. That is the Gospel, the simple good news. Our sins punished in another and we treated better than we deserve. And Paul says that that picture that Jeremiah is painting of us being treated better than we deserve is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Do you believe? Do you really believe? Have you stopped trying to earn righteousness with God? Stop trying to make yourself into a good fig by your own devices? Stop trying to stay right with God by all that you do? Do you really believe that because of Jesus' simple act on the cross, you, a rotten fig, can be treated like the fresh harvest of summer? We need to learn the lesson of these good figs and the lesson of Martin Luther, namely that the smile of God on our lives 
whether initially or continually, does not have to be earned. Indeed, it cannot be earned. The smile of God is given to us not on the basis of our good works, but on the basis of God's good news. God's forgiveness, God's favor is a free gift. I will regard them. They aren't, but I will regard them as good. Our task is simply to believe, to trust Him, to take Him at His word. And I urge you now to do that. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 16, and you will be regarded as good in His sight.